Buckets of rain, buckets of tears Got all them buckets coming out of my ears Buckets of moonbeams in my hand You got all the love, honey, baby, I can stand Hello, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 168 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of the Merit Medical Systems False Claims Act Settlement. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, exciting week. Uh, the election is uh, over, and uh, pretty exciting result, and uh, we're looking forward to the uh, change in administrations, and obviously we're going to talk about that soon with regard to the impact on enforcement, compliance issues, and other uh, governance-type concerns. But today's episode, we're going to take a review and a step back from anti-corruption enforcement and take a look at False Claims Act settlement. Uh, and there's, all, there's a lot to learn when you're looking at a False Claims Act case, particularly with anti-kickback bribery, domestic bribery, uh, involving uh, interactions with healthcare professionals. And obviously, there's a lot to learn for that, even in the international space uh, as well. So these are interesting cases to look at. And today, we're going to look at this settlement between uh, Merit Medical Systems and, uh, and with the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice. Anyways, uh, before we get started, I want to uh, welcome again our new sponsor, Blue Umbrella, and here's a message from them. How are you managing your third-party compliance program? Is your technology vastly assisting you or getting in your way? Blue Umbrella, in concert with some of the largest, most sophisticated compliance programs in the world, has devised a user-friendly, customizable platform that automates tasks and seamlessly integrates with adjacent enterprise systems. Blue Umbrella has employed advanced technology, along with a healthy dose of common sense, to make sure that compliance professionals using status are able to focus on managing issues that arise, monitoring the health of their program, and proactively anticipating risks as a business partner. Curious? Contact us at blueumbrella.com for a quick demo. Well, let's take a look at this uh, interesting um, FCA case, False Claims Act, but uh, the medical device maker is Merit Medical Systems, and uh, they agreed to pay $18 million to resolve allegations that the company submitted false claims to Medicare, Medicaid, and TRICARE, and by paying kickbacks or, uh, and inducements, illegal inducements is what it is under the statute, uh, to physicians and hospitals to induce increased use of uh, their products. Now, MMS, uh, that's Merit Medical Systems, uh, manufactures and markets disposable medical devices used in interventional and diagnostic procedures like stents, other things like that, relating to cardiology, radiology, oncology, critical care, and endoscopy. Uh, the anti-kickback statute, just to take a moment, uh, prohibits offering or paying anything of value to induce the referral of items covered by federal health care programs, which includes Medicare, Medicaid, and TRICARE. And the AKS statute is designed to preserve 
the sort of discretion of medical providers to use medical devices based on an objective determination free from financial incentives or rewards. The interesting uh, aspect of this case, which we're going to uh, talk about even more towards the end, is it was filed by the chief compliance officer, uh, who ultimately left the company after failing to get the company to uh, what he thought was comply with the law. So the whistleblower complaint was filed in 2016. Uh, MMS apparently employed a kickback screen scheme to pay physicians, medical practices, and hospitals to increase their use of MMS products. They implemented what was called an internal program called Local Advertising Program, or LAP, which provided healthcare providers with millions of dollars in free advertising, practice development, practice support, and unrestricted, in quotes, educational grants uh, to induce the providers to purchase and use a number of MMS products, including embosphere devices, which were used for uterine fibroid embolization procedures, and quadrosphere, which, was, uh, which were used for other embolization procedures. And what happened is MMS would select healthcare providers for these payments based on prior sales in order to induce future sales and steer business away from MMS competitors. So the chief compliance officer uh, was a doctor, a non-practicing physician, Dr. Charles Wolf, and he was the whistleblower and he received 2.65 million of the federal share of the settlement. Uh, Dr. Wolf, uh, filed a whistleblower complaint again in 2016 following his resignation in which he highlighted his repeated uh, efforts to address violations that he said were deeply ingrained in Merritt's culture. Uh, he repeatedly advised management that the local advertising program would violate the AKS law and the False Claims Act. Despite these clear and persistent warnings, MMM, MMS ignored these concerns and continued with the illegal payment system. Now, along with the False Claims Act settlement, and as part of these, you, you typically see, MMS agreed to a five-year corporate integrity agreement, CIA, with the uh, Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General, which requires MMS to hire a compliance expert and an independent review organization, they're called IROs to analyze its systems and transactions. Now let's take a step back and talk about little uh, what Dr. Wolf went through because I think there are important lessons here in terms of how he raised concerns and what the reaction was uh, along within the company. So he, Dr. Wolf, was again the chief compliance officer and uh, who ultimately became a federal whistleblower. And his concerns were ultimately vindicated when the Justice Department intervened in support of his complaint. And uh, like I said, he got $2.65 million of the $18 million that was uh, part of the settlement. Um, Dr. Wolf worked uh, for MMS from 2011 to 2015. Uh, he's a non-practicing physician. Uh, he had been involved in compliance since 1999. And when he saw the LAP program, or there was, they were implementing the LAP program, he raised concerns about the legality of the program. He eventually raised the issue with the CEO and chairman, and even went to the board. And MMS leadership 
and management ignored his warnings and objections, and he was forced to, eventually he resigned and then filed his whistleblower complaint. But in the face of the, and you can see he sort of walked with his feet, as they say, uh, in a situation where he exercised his authority to go to the board, uh, and the board uh, rejected his concerns, um, he felt compelled to resign, and then ultimately decided to uh, file this uh, whistleblower complaint. Now, Wolf objected to the local advertising program in which uh, they provided free advertising, practice development, support, and these grants to induce the providers to purchase and use a number of MMS products. And they selected the providers based on prior sales and who they could induce for future sales. Um, And they gave them sort of free advertising, consulting fees, and all expense paid trips uh, in return for the use of marketing Uh, and for the use and marketing of the products. Uh, The educational grants that the kickbacks uh, were, you know, funneled through uh, were not so much educational grants. In fact, internal communications, uh, and that means emails and texts, that these funds are not educational by any means. Instead, Dr. Wolf stated the grants were intentionally meant to affect and induce providers to use merit devices and to steer providers to use merit devices exclusively. So there was no educational aspect to it, uh, and there was no uh, part to that. So uh, merit-sponsored lunches and dinners to influence doctors' decisions and also paid speaker fees when physicians discussed merit and its devices. And like I mentioned before, the kickback payments also included lavish all expenses paid trips to desirable destinations like Paris, Ireland, Hawaii. So all of this uh, was done under the guise of calling this uh, an educational program. Merritt allegedly uh, paid one doctor $5,000 to give a speech at a prestigious uh, industry event in in order to buy his loyalty and influence his remarks. Um, Dr. Wolf also alleged that uh, MMS paid $1,600 for a radio ad for a healthcare provider and also paid for 15 Russian doctors to tour Galway, Ireland. So the lesson here is a company that ignores a chief compliance officer's determination that a specific program violates the law faces significant risks. I mean, think about it from this standpoint. Uh, Prosecutors... Uh, have a difficult time in developing evidence, for example, that a company acted with the requisite intent to violate a law. But here, when you have uh, a chief compliance officer's determination and recommendation to cease a program because it violates the law, the leadership uh, in ignoring that admonition or warning is basically creating a great case for the government. In other words, Uh, The evidence is very strong when you have an internal professional like a lawyer, a compliance officer saying, we can't do this because it's illegal, and there's obvious evidence uh, to corroborate the fact that nobody listened to the chief compliance officer, or they listened but then decided to go forward anyways. That's a great piece of evidence that can be used against the company. And it so it raises the, the warning here, which is, when a legal professional or a compliance officer um, 
raises a concern like this, you have to be very careful about how you deal with it, how you document your response to it, because this is very, very treacherous uh, evidence that can be used against uh, the company very easily by prosecutors. So the company just cannot ignore such a determination. They have to respond to it. They have to document it. And for example, let's say the company really does think that the chief compliance officer is wrong as a matter of law. You may have to get uh, outside counsel opinion. Uh, you may have to analyze the issues carefully and objectively to make a determination as to whether or not to proceed. But the, you know these are unusual cases when a chief compliance officer says this will violate the law, you can't do it, and a company says, okay, we're going to go forward anyways. And in a sense, MMS uh, sealed its own fate by ignoring Dr. Wolf and in frustration, uh, you know, he naturally became a whistleblower. And uh, when you have the False Claims Act out there and the financial rewards, um, you know, that's uh, that's basically setting up an incentive for the chief compliance officer to go forward just like here and become a whistleblower. And he would have preferred, obviously, Dr. Wolf would have uh, preferred that MMS just discontinued its local advertising program and he, uh, you know, would, continue, would have continued to work there. Now, Dr. Wolf sought to bring about change from within. That was interesting, too. He didn't just go uh, and run and file a whistleblower complaint. He sought to uh, raise the concerns internally. He first raised it with uh, senior leadership, and uh, he then ultimately went to the board. And then uh, when the board uh, refused to reverse uh, the program, he resigned and then filed the uh, the whistleblower complaint. MMS's culture, in my view, by definition, was deficient uh, in this situation because in the end it looks like they didn't take an objective, realistic uh, approach to responding to Dr. Wolf's concerns. And in the end, Dr. Wolf was vindicated by an independent determination by the Justice Department that his analysis and his recommendation was, in fact, correct. And, it, and when you look over the facts, it seems pretty clear. Uh, we don't have all the evidence, obviously, as part of the settlement, but it seems pretty clear that Dr. Wolf's determination was correct. But to see a company just sort of ignore that, it by sort of showing that the chief compliance officer, again, didn't have the requisite authority within the organization uh, to stop something from occurring when he or she believes it's illegal, that by definition, in my view, uh, creates a situation where you, your culture is deficient and you're, not, uh, and you're not creating a situation where the chief compliance officer has appropriate authority within the organization. Uh, and this is one of uh, several examples that I've seen in cases lately where lawyers and chief compliance officers are ignored uh, when they come up with certain recommendations or determinations. And uh, it just seems like to be a persistent pattern here in many uh, anti-corruption cases, uh, uh, False Claims Act cases, all of this, where we have concerns raised internally and they're not handled properly. So... Well, anyways, I thought uh, it was good to take a little break from FCPA and talk a little bit about False Claims Act uh, cases. We'll be back next week uh, with another uh, episode. And uh, in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, congratulations to all the uh, people who voted. It was a wonderful 
sort of reemergence of uh, our rights, and uh, it was a terrific, uh, terrific, uh, and exciting week. Uh, even though we all spent a lot of time in front of uh, the TV, but whatever, it was interesting. So everybody, stay well, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. I like the way that you move your hips I like the cool way you look at me Everything about you is bringing me misery Can you tell?